0: hello hello and you know before we get started i have to do what i did last week because i think we should always praise yahoo so i want you to say with me hallelujah to Yahuwah our king hallelujah to Yahuwah our king so if you're listening in your car or you're listening with the earbuds in your ear while you're taking a walk or you at home, you should always say hallelujah to our king because we bless our king because he loves us and he wants to see what's best for us. Welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. I'm Boyce Washington and on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington and we say Shabbat Shalom to the Hebrew Mishpachai scattered to the four corners and we say Shabbat Shalom to the all other believing nations of our loving Elohim. Welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. As you know, if you've been listening to us or this is your first time, this is a podcast where we will study the Bible, the biblical covenant, and what it means for us today. So, do you have your Bibles ready? When you're watching a movie, you have your popcorn ready. But when you're getting ready to study the word, you have to have your Bibles ready. So, if you don't have your Bibles ready, hit pause. Go grab your Bible, then quick play, because we're about to get into study. So, Pastor, what do you have for us today?
1: All right, thank you very much. Uh, We're going to continue where we left off, but I want you to keep in mind that as we go through these studies, uh, what we're trying to do is lay a foundation for the covenant that we have with Elohim and as we have read in Jeremiah, it says that he has a covenant with us through marriage. So what we are doing is we are taking an introspective look at marriage. And as we see the human relationship of marriage, then at a point in this discussion, we'll make a transference from the human marriage to the divine marriage which will demonstrate to us the covenant that Elohim has with his children. So with that in mind, I want you to turn with me as we get ready for this discourse. We want to go to the second chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter two. And in the second chapter of Genesis 22, we want to look at 21B, through 22, 21b. And when we say 21b, we're talking about the latter part of the 21st verse, and then we'll read all of the 22nd verse. So that's Genesis chapter 2, considering verses 21b through 22. And here, when Moses was writing this in the first book we call Genesis, he says in the latter part, Verse 21 of the second chapter, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which Yahuwah Elohim had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Now, when Adam was asleep, we are told from the scriptures what Elohim did. So, uh, so when he made man, he obviously took and laid him asleep. And so, when he had laid him asleep, then that's when he fashioned the woman. Bible says, and he took the rib, and then he closed up the flesh. And the rib which he had taken from him made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Now in this particular passage of scripture, there are a number of details we want to uh, magnify. Now the first detail we notice is that Elohim extracted one rib from Adam, from the extraction of the one rib, we could see that there were more ribs. He only extracted one. So from the extraction of one rib could be suggestive of basically two points of view. Let us look at these two views and the first view we refer to as the monogamous marriage, the monogamous marriage. Now in monogamous marriage, we're talking about one couple which composed of a man and a woman. So when we look at the monogamous marriage, by extracting only one rear from Adam could be suggestive of the ideal marriage relationship that Elohim only intended for a man to only have one wife, and if that is so, then monogamy would be Elohim's endorsed, approved, accepted, and affirmed by him. So to have one man and one woman can be looked upon as Elohim's ideal marriage, only one woman and one man. Therefore, for a man to possess more than one wife would stand up to his ideal. Naturally, if it is true Elohim only intended for a man to have only one wife, this presupposes that one man and one woman were only to be considered a marriage in Elohim's sight. Therefore, any more than one male and one female uniting together would be in Yah's sight, would be unequally yoked. In the mind of Elohim, everything of which he imagined and the thought came forth from his perfect being, everything that he said and uttered was perfect. We are told from Scripture to be perfect, even as our Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. This word for perf- perfect comes from the Greek word teleus, teleus, and that's spelled T-E-L-E-I-O-S, T-E-L-E-I-O-S, telios, meaning ended or complete. So, in Matthew 5, verse 48, it tells us to be perfect even as our Father is perfect. And so, this Greek word for perfect is rather equivalent to the Hebrew word for finish, which is kala K-A-L-A-H, kala, which also means finish or completed. So, when we look at what Elohim did in marriage... In creating one woman and one man, if we look at upon this first view, we see that if the ideal marriage is simply having one man and one woman, consequently, when Elohim perfects something, there is there isn't anything we can add or take away from it. He is an Elohim of perfection. He thinks perfect thoughts. He performs perfect works. He makes perfect things. He is a perfect Elohim. And we can conclude that whatever he thinks, speaks, or does is perfect. Therefore, we must conclude that if he made marriage, then he made it perfect without any flaws whatsoever. Now, if the marriage he made was perfect, this would also mean that the number of of males and females to comprise a marriage was perfect. In addition to perfection being one man and one woman, we must also consider Elohim's image of which man was made in, Elohim' nature of which Adam and Eve partook of was composed of one masculine part and one feminine part, would not, we then expect that Elohim's creation would be in his image as to how many persons were to share in a wedlock. Now, the perfect marriage is one man and one woman. Now, in Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4, it says in the Shema, it said, Hear, O Israel, jehovah Elohim is one. When one man and one woman come into matrimony, they enter into a perfect union. Therefore shall a man, according to the Bible, leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his woman, or his wife, they shall be one flesh. Genesis two twenty four. So in other words, it's just pointing out that when a man and a woman come together, they'll be one flesh. So when a husband and his wife come together in wedlock, they become one. This oneness is the result of Elohim taking a rib from Adam and having separated it from him and making a woman, seeing that the woman is a part of the man, Adam, Adam says when he gazes upon her, upon her, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. So here we see in the separation of uh, Adam and his woman, we find that because she was taken out of man, then the two of them, even once separated and come back together, they are considered one. Now, let us go into Genesis uh, chapter, in Genesis chapter 20, uh, chapter 2 and verse 23. Genesis two twenty three. Okay. Now, here we read in Genesis two twenty three. It says, And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh that she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man okay now in conjunction uh with that particular verse uh we find in verse 24 as well it says therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife they shall be one flesh So when we read that, uh, we recognize that when a man finds a woman to unite his life with as did Adam, the maleness of man comes together with the femaleness of the woman, thus making them one. Now, what we want to do is we look at Genesis 23 and 24. Of the second chapter of Genesis, we're going to turn into the New Testament and, and and see some things that Yeshua had to say about marriage, and that's found in the in the book of Matthew. And in the book of Matthew, we want to look at the nineteenth chapter, Matthew. And here, in Matthew nineteen, we want to look at. I believe it's verse. Okay, okay, nineteen. And we want to look at verse number five. Okay, that's Matthew nineteen five. And here it says, "And said," it's talking about what Yeshua is saying, "And said, for this cause shall a man leave father." and mother and shall cleave to his woman, and they too shall be one flesh. okay. So here he is quoting from Genesis 2:24. So he himself read the scriptures and he is quoting from the various scriptures that we have just read, Genesis 2:24. Now, the reason why a man and a woman are considered to be one flesh when they are married is because when Elohim divided them into two parts, they were separated from the same source. Therefore, even though separated from one another in marriage, they come back together again. Now that we have briefly taken a glimpse of the Uh, At monogamy let us now observe polygamy okay let us observe polygamy now we want to turn back to Genesis and in Genesis chapter 2 we want to look at the second chapter and again we look at the same verses that we've already gone over but we want to look at it from a different way in Genesis 2.21, and the uh, letter part, it says, and he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh instead thereof. Okay. Now, by extracting only one rib from Adam could be suggestive that Elohim started man with one wife. Not necessarily that he was limited only two, one. Now, Elohim intended for man to have, now, now, if Elohim intended for man to have more than one wife, then the question we would ask is, how would we justify such a thinking according to the teachings of the scriptures? If we base a one man, and one woman marriage upon being the only marital relationships of which Elohim expects to be legitimate, and there aren't any other way that it could be. If we build upon this premise that the only legitimate marriage in Elohim's eyes is only one man and only one woman, such thinking as this presupposes at least two vital concerns. Now, the first presupposition is that Elohim, he himself plainly states that a man should not have more than one female spouse in marriage and to have more than one woman in an adulterous affair and, and an illegitimate marriage. Now, even though we may say such shouldn't be, however, we can find in scriptures where Elohim absolutely said a man cannot have more than one wife. We cannot find that in scriptures. There's nowhere that the scripture says that Elohim said a man should not have more than one wife. It is something that we have said, but it cannot be founded in scriptures. In my reading of scriptures, I do not find such a statement. Another presupp- presupposition we may have when Yah extracted one rib to fashion Adam to a woman is that he intended man only to have one female spouse. To pose such a pre- presupposition as this is like saying when he made the one woman for Adam that we see things in such a way that we may not be inclusive of the way that Elohim is looking at them. Now, everything Yah was thinking about marriage, we cannot fathom that we know what he said, but there's a lot more on his mind of what he says then we make him phantom. We do not know from every every inch and degree of what Elohim was thinking when he made marriage. No one does. He, he has an infinite mind, and we have a finite mind. We are told in Isaiah concerning Elohim. Now, when we look in Isaiah, let us turn to Isaiah chapter... 55 in the book of Isaiah. Okay, that's Isaiah. And we want to look at chapter 55. And in Isaiah chapter 55, we want to look at a, a couple of verses. Okay. Isaiah 55 and... We want to look at verses 8 and 9. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. And here it says, for my thoughts, talking about Elohim, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says Yahuwah. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So it's letting us know here that when Elohim says something, that it goes beyond our thinking capacity. He says, your ways and your thoughts are not like my ways and my thoughts. So he sees issues a lot different than we see them. So Isaiah was able to give us this uh, type of understanding about how he thinks. Now, no human mind can fathom the mind of Elohim. Therefore, if Elohim doesn't spell something out clearly and exactly, we should not inject our human reasoning into his reasoning and declare that the way we see it is the correct view I have never read in our holy writ whereby Elohim spoke to his prophets concerning plural women being married to one man. There's no evidence of that in scripture. However, he does speak about adulterous affairs between men and women and spiritual adultery that goes on between Yehoah and his people worshiping pseudo-deities as a matter of fact, he told Hosea to marry Gomer, who was a lewd woman, and that's found in Hosea chapter one, verses two and three. And by marrying a whore, Yahuwah was telling, was simply saying to Hosea, "I'm trying to show you that you marrying this lewd woman." of how Israel and Judah have departed from me. They have forsaken me. The true Elohim for the false Elohim. In other words, when he told Hosea to go get Gomer, who was a woman who was a woman of the street, to marry her, he was trying to mirror that situation to show Israel and Judah that you are doing the same thing by holding on to others rather than me, who, who is your true Elohim. A man and a woman's relationship should be pure. And he says, my relationship and your relationship should be pure. Other than that, there is no record stated that Elohim ever prohibited a man from having more than one wife. While one wife might be more practical, yet it is not prohibited by Elohim. So at this juxtaposition, let us consider some polemics concerning the rib he extracted from Adam and why he may possibly only have extracted only one of his ribs. There are at least... uh, quite a few ribs that Adam had, and I would like to highlight these particular ribs, or the way of looking at a monogamous marriage in the light of a plural uh, situation, as the Bible articulates it. Now, we go back to Genesis, we go back to Genesis chapter two, and again, we look at verse uh, twenty-four, Genesis two twenty-four. Now, verse twenty-four says, of the second chapter Genesis, and the word which Yahuwah Elohim had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. Okay. So it said, and they, uh, the woman that was brought unto the man, it says that at the latter part of the 24th verse, and they shall be one flesh, one flesh, and they shall be one flesh as we prove into what we call the oneness of the text we want to observe other possibilities inherited in this oneness. Now the first type of oneness we want to consider is what we refer to as the numerical oneness, the numerical oneness. When we consider the numerical oneness, it can be observed from a number of numerical angles there can be what we refer to as the oneness of one, the oneness of one. When we speak in terms of the oneness of one, it has to do with literally, with only one thing, item or person. In the Shema, we are told that Yahuwah is one in Deuteronomy 6, 4b. In other words, one. In this case, it is pointing out to us that he is one L. He is one person, literally. This type of oneness cannot be negotiated or altered to mean anything other than Yahuwah is one individual and only one. It is speaking specifically of one person in that context. However, outside of the numerical oneness we have what we refer to as the union of one the union of one in the union in a unionization of one is when two or more items things or persons comes together in a joint agreement or a purpose or plan even though numerically the number one may designate one it may be designate one thing or one person or one thing, yet when we are given a different context, which it is used, it can take on a different significance. This we can see in the case of Adam and Eve. For we are told in this in the same passage of scripture that points out that Adam and Eve being two and separated and distinct, and being distinct persons are considered one flesh. In Genesis two twenty four, let us notice that this same passage also comments on the oneness. Here, it, here we find that uh, even when Yeshua was, was was talking about the the uh, the oneness that. The one that's included more than just one. In one instance, yes, one is one, but in another instances, one has the connotation of something else. So let us turn back to Matthew uh, in the text that, that that we had, and that's that that's in Matthew. And in Matthews, I believe we had the Let's see, I think we had the 19th chapter of Matthew, and we had verse number five, okay? So, here in Matthew 19, 5, it says, and Yeshua himself talking, commenting upon Genesis 2, 24, he says, for this cause... Shall a man be father and mother, and shall cleave unto his woman, they two shall be one flesh. Okay? Now, notice he points out particularly that the man and the woman are two individuals. They are two individuals. And once united in matrimony, they are one. Moreover, in verse 6, now let us notice what verse 6 says. In verse 6 says, Wherefore, they are no more two but one flesh. And therefore, Elohim has joined together. Therefore, what Yehoah has joined together, let no man put asunder. So here we see here in this particular passage that he's commenting on it, we notice that he's pointing out that he has taken two individuals and put them together, man and woman. And he don't want anyone to put them asunder or, or to break that bond. Now, notice. He points out particularly that the man and the woman are two individuals, and once united in matrimony, they are one. Moreover, in verse six, he goes on to re-emphasize that no longer are they two but one flesh. By the re-emphasis of two being one, the number one is taking to another understanding. Now, logically and rationally, when we see the basic means of math, such as addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division, of these respective mathematical methods, we have the following. We have 1 plus 1 equal 2. 1 minus 1 equals 0. 1 divided by 1 is 1. And 1 times 1 is 1. Now according to these mathematical uh, methods, only two of them yield one, which is division and multiplication. However, Moses and Yeshua aren't using either division or multiplication, but rather addition, according to the rules of of, of addition, When two or more things are added together, they are more or less. You see, when you add two things, they comes out to be more. So if you got two individuals, then you would say they are two, but Elohim is taking marriage to say, when you add two things together, they are more or either less. However, upon closer observation, we find that Yeshua isn't avoiding or coming up with any new mathematical methods or formulas, but rather he's dealing with two becoming one flesh from a fractional standpoint. From a fractional standpoint, we can still use the basic methods of math such as adding, subtract, divide, or multiply. Let us now consider this aspect of marriage as we speak about what we refer to as the fraction of one, the fraction of one. So when we talk about the fraction of one, when we probe into the fractionalization of one, we are talking about the division of something or somebody in the fractionalizing of a man and a woman becoming one flesh is basic, is based upon the woman coming from the man. Therefore, we can conclude that since the woman was made out of one of the ribs extracted from the man such an extraction produced two persons. These two persons were one until they were separated. Consequently, after being separated into being two individuals and they marry, they become one flesh. Even though when they marry, they are still two individuals. They are considered one. At this juxtaposition, let us consider two factors concerning fractionalization. The first factor is the fractionalized quality, the fractionalized, or the fractional quality of oneness. In the fractional quality, we are considering the source from which somebody or something is derived. When someone or something of the same quality is divided into pieces. They are considered to be of the same source and by being of the same source, they are also considered to be one in substance. Consequently, when we apply this concept to a marital status, we have the woman coming from the man as in the first marriage of Adam and Eve. Even though Eve was severed from Adam, they were both of one substance and of the same source. Therefore, when Adam first gazed upon Eve, he identified the source from which she had come. He said of her, this is bone of my bones. And flesh of my flesh, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother? They shall cleave unto and cleave unto his woman. They shall be one flesh. Now that we've briefly observed the fractional quality of oneness, let us now consider the second factor of fractionalization, which is the fractional quantity of, of oneness. Now when we deal with the quality, we were only dealing with the substance that both of them came from the same substance, bone of their bone and flesh of their blood, the same substance. But now we're dealing with fractional quantity of oneness. In the fractional quantity, we are considering the number of parts something or somebody has been divided into. When someone or something has been divided into parts, this means that all of the parts of which a person or thing has been divided into makes up the whole. When the whole of which it makes up would be the sum total of its pieces, which would amount to its oneness. Since the pieces of something or somebody are... what makes up the oneness of it, then we must draw the conclusion that no matter how many pieces of what it is that we are dealing with, they all make up the whole, which is the oneness of which it was initially. Let us now apply this concept to the marital status of a man and a woman. And in doing so, we will be using some human thinking, which we will uh, align with the scriptures to validate our claims. Now, let us go back to uh, Genesis 2.21. Genesis 2.21. And here in Genesis 2.21, it says, And Elohim caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Okay. Now, here, it speaks about Elohim putting a deep sleep on Adam, and he slept. Okay. And then, in the same verse, it goes on to say, And he took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. So, and he took one of his ribs. So, when it says he took one of his ribs, Is suggestive of the fact that Adam had more than one. However, of the amount of ribs he had, Elohim saw fit to only use one and to make one woman for one man. This is not to say that he couldn't have extracted two or more ribs from him to make more women. For Adam, however, even though he didn't, he made only one woman. Anything beyond what he did would be purely human thinking. Even though at this juxtaposition we'll indulge indulge into some human speculation, let us entertain the idea that Elohim's ways and thoughts are not our ways and thoughts keeping in mind also that both the quality and the quantity makes up what is the wholeness of a marital status, which brings about the oneness. What we want to consider at this juncture is what we refer to as the marital plurality. The marital pr- plurality. In our consideration of marital relationships, we want to begin by accenting first what we call a plurality of husbands for a wife. So the first so when we look at this plurality, we want to look at the feminine plurality, feminine plurality. Now when we talk about f- feminine plurality, what we're talking about is a woman having more than one husband, okay? We want to start off with that and then we're going to get into the masculine plurality. So, the thinking is that if a man can have more than one wife, then can a wife have more than one man? We must understand that Yah made the woman for the man and not the reverse, the man for the woman. Moreover, Elohim took the rib from the side of the man, not the rib from the side of the woman. So, when we read In Genesis 2.21, we're looking specifically at what he was doing for man and not what he was doing for woman, so woman was made for the man and not man for the woman. And in in order to reproduce, now, uh, in the creation of both the botanical and the zoological spheres of life, Elohim made everything to reproduce after its kind. Now, let us turn to Genesis uh, 1.12, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 12. We want to look at that. And this this principle is enumerated in both the plant world as well as in the animal world. But we just want to read the principle that he laid out for both the plant and the animals. And here it says in Genesis 1.12, And the earth brought forth grass. And herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind, and Elohim saw that it was good. So, we see a principle here uh, in nature, is that he said that everything that he created would reproduce after its kind. And it, and in order to reproduce after its kind, Elohim put seeds of different kind into the various plants and animals that he created. Now, each seed of the plant or the animal was to reproduce after its kind. Elohim intended for each species of plants and beasts should be distinct and different. This inherited law was built into nature from the start of creation. In other words, every plant and every animal would have seeds. And usually most plants that I know and most human beings have not just one seed. They have a plethora of seeds. They have many seeds. And these seeds are to reproduce after a kind. Moreover, Elohim in giving his covenant to Moses on Mount Sinai reiterated this law to him to give to his people to practice, okay? So now what we want to do is look at Genesis 12 and in, in, the, in the verses in Genesis number one that says everything shall reproduce after its kind. And we want to see how later on when he gave Moses the covenant, how that Moses... Uh, was reiterated this same principle. So we want to turn to Deuteronomy and in Deuteronomy we want to turn to chapter 22. Deuteronomy chapter 22 to see how this same principle is dealt with. Okay. Now that's Deuteronomy and in Deuteronomy we want to look at chapter 22 and we want to go to verse number 9. Deuteronomy 22, verse 9. And here it says, You shall not sow your vineyard with diverse, with diverse seeds, lest the fruit of your seed which you have sown and the fruit of your vineyard be defiled. So here it was revealed to Moses when he was up on Mount Sinai, when Elohim was giving him the law, and the things that he should do agriculturally, he says, when you sow your crop, don't put different type of seeds in the same place of the soil. He said, if you do that, there are two things going to happen. He says, lest the fruit of the seeds which you have sown and the fruit of your vineyard be defiled. So he is saying, number one is, uh, Don't sow diverse seeds. He says, lest the fruit of your seed which you have sown. Now notice it the fruit of your seed which you have sown. And the fruit of your vineyard, in other words, the fruit of the seed and one, and the fruit of your vineyard be defiled. So the seed that you sown is going to be defiled. And the other crop that you've planted with it, it's going to be defiled. He said, don't do not do that. Okay. So when you lo- go back to Genesis uh, 1.12, uh, he wanted everything to reproduce after this kind, to be distinct and different so we could tell it. And then he's telling Moses that when you plant and your people plant anything, don't plant anything two seeds or three kind of seeds or more in, in the field, because if you do that, you're going to ruin the seed and you're going to ruin your crop. So Elohim is divinely concerned about the things he created, that they remain as he made them distinctively and different and unique, one of a kind. It is the devil's intention to change Elohim's order of things. That's what he wants to do. When we consider the fact that if a woman has more than one man, it would be an adulterous affair because it is the male that carries the sperm, which is the seed. The man carries the seed. In this scenario of a woman having more than one spouse would mean that she would also have more than one seed. Therefore, she would have sown within her a diverse seed. So, when we look at this concept of having different type of seeds in the field, it can also be translated in the, not only in the agricultural uh, sense, but also when it deals to the humans. The law of agriculture of land is also applicable to a marital relationship of a woman with more than one spouse. We can see that a spousal relationship, a woman having plural husbands would be absolutely forbidden by the Torah because she would have mingled too many seeds together. If she have one seed and another husband, that's two seeds. And he said it that would be an adulterous and that would defile both the seed as well as that which she is producing. So we see the Torah would forbid a woman having more than one husband. It would not substantiate that because the woman has the egg, but the man has the seed to fertilize the egg. And he said if more than one Seed is coming to that woman by more than one husband. He said, you have defiled her, and you have defiled the seed. Now that we have briefly observed the female plurality, let us now deal with the male plurality. The male male plurality. In the Holy Writ, we read in a plethora of places, when Elohim's people had a number of wives, yet they which were not chastened or looked down upon by Elohim himself. When we go back to the law of everything reproducing after its kind, the seed is the carrier of this kind. The man's seed can be sown into a number of women without being in violation of Deuteronomy 22.9. However... What we want to see is that the oneness of which we are concerned with can be seen not only in a one man and one woman relationship, but also in a one man with a number of wives, we will do this by looking into the life of Jacob and and his 12 sons and Yeshua and his 12 disciples and also some other passages of scriptures as they relate to the theme of oneness. Now, let us turn to Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35. In, In Genesis chapter 35, we want to look at uh, some verses there as we deal with Jacob's situation. Okay, now here in Genesis chapter 21, I mean chapter 35, it's starting with verse 21. Here it says, here it says uh, in this particular passage, starting with verse 31 of the 35th chapter of Genesis, it said, and Joshua journeyed and spread his tent beyond Magdal-Eder. And it came to pass that when Yahshareel dwelt in that land, that Reuven went and lay with Bilah, his father's concubine, and Yahshareel heard it. Now the sons of Yaakov were twelve, okay? And the sons of Leah, Reuven, Yaakov's firstborn and Shimeon and Levi and Yehuda and Yeshaka and Zevulon and the sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin, and the sons of Bula, Rachel's handmaid, Dan and Naphtali, and the sons of Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, Gad, Asher. These are the sons of Yaakov which were born to him in Padan around. So, what we notice in these verses is that not only did Jacob have twelve sons, but they were they weren't all from one woman. He had wives and handmaidens who bore him sons. The only time we experienced an adulterous affair in his marital status was when Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, having an affair with Bula his father's concubine now notice what it says in genesis 35 22 it says and it came to pass when yah dwelt in the land of reuven that that reuven went and lay with Bula his father's concubine okay so the scriptures is not saying anything about Jacob having uh, two wives and handmaidens. But it did say that Reuben, who violated his father's concubines, went and lay with Beulah. Okay. And when he did that, Jacob had to put her away. He could no longer deal with her. And we can see the law of Deuteronomy 22, nine coming into effect because if Reuben lay with her, there would have been two seeds for Billah, so Jacob had to cut her off. He had to get rid of her. He had to put her in confinement because it was two seeds. But he never said anything about the seeds of the other other women who were his wives and he said nothing about that. Moreover, more, it looked like Elohim participated in being able to have children for Leah More so than Rachel, because she was loveless. So he's he's not rebuking that. But what he does rebuke is that when more than one seed is coming into one woman. Moreover, in David's marital status of having plural wives, Yah rebuked him in one situation by Nathan, the prophet, because when he took Uriah's wife, that was wrong, because she was already married. So therefore, there was a two-seed mingling, and so he had to send the prophet Nathan to him in 2 Samuel 12, 7, to let him know that what you did, David, was wrong, and as a result, you will be punished by that. And one of the punishments that you're going to have, that Elohim had told Nathan to tell David, just like you took uh, Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, Somebody's going to take your wives, and not only are they going to take it in secret, but they're going to take your wives in broad daylight. Of what you, you did, it's going to come back upon you 10 times more than what you did to Uriah. But in that situation, and that was wrong, but the other situation was when Absalom, his son, by the counsel of Ahithophel, told him to lay with. 10 of David's concubines, whom David had left behind as he was fleeing from Absalom, his son, who was trying to take over his kingdom. Now, let us turn to 2 Samuel. Second Samuel. In 2 Samuel, we want to look at chapter 16. 2 Samuel 16. 2 Samuel, and we're looking at chapter 16, and we'll look at verse number 21. 2 Samuel 16 21. Here's what it says It said, And Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Go in unto your father's concubines, which he has left to keep the house, and all Yashareel shall hear that you are abhorred of your father, then shall the hands of all that are with you be strong. So Ahithophel, which was a counselor to David, is now taking the side of Absalom, and he said, now one thing that's going to make you strong is that you take your father's concubines. And as a result of Absalom laying with his father David's concubines, what we see here is that David now has to do something with the ten ones that Absalom, his son, had laid with because, again, we see the principle of Deuteronomy 22.9 It's more than one seed. So if David had these ten women and they had his seed, then that means that if Absalom came, that would be more than one seed. Okay? So now, let us look at 2 Samuel chapter 20. In the 2nd Samuel chapter 20, we want to look at verses 3 and 4. Notice what it says, 3 and 4. It said, And David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took Eliphaz the ten women, his concubines, whom he had left to keep the house and put them in ward, and fed them, but went not in unto them. How come he couldn't go in to them? because if he did, after Absalom had laid with them, there would be more than one seed. So again, we're seeing Deuteronomy 22, 9, and also Genesis 1:12, they cannot reproduce after they kind. They would be two kind, there would be Absalom's kind, and there would be David's kind, and that type of dealing, Elohim said, would be an adulterous affair, because you're mingling the seeds. Now notice what it further says. He says David had to put them in war, so they were shut up until the day of their death, living in widowhood. Okay. Now, well, we didn't need verse 4. I thought it was verse 4, but just just, uh, verse 3 is telling us he could no longer uh, cohabitate with them. And until the day of their death, they were put in widowhood, okay? All because they had broken that principle. So why did David and Jacob abandon these women? Not because they sinned, but because they had become violated by becoming defiled, respectively, by Reuben and Absalom. By Absalom's seed being one type of seed, And David's seed being another, he had to put them away because the laws of seed mingling had taken place. So what we are discerning is that the plural wives of the concubines are the transgression, but the mingling of seed is another thing. So... Having more than one wife is not a transgression, but the mingling of the seed was a transgression. Moreover, also, let us notice what Yah said to David concerning this issue. Let us notice what he says. I want you to turn with me in in, in 2 Samuel, Second Samuel chapter 12. And we want to look at verses 8 and 9. 2 Samuel chapter. 12, verses 89. Now, notice what it says here. He's talking to David after he had an adulterous affair with uh, Bathsheba. And Elohim said, and I gave you your Lord's house and your Lord's women unto your bosom and gave you the house of Yisrael and of Yehuda." And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto you such and such things. In other words, he is telling David that you didn't have to do that to Uriah's wife because if you doing right, he said I would have given you minute. I would have given you even more wives. So Elohim is telling David, I would have given you more wives if you had done it the correct way. But see he didn't do it the correct way by having them not having lain with another man he would have given david some more wives his sin was not in more wives his sin was in committing an adulterous relationship because david had many wives even his son solomon had many wives but as long as they had only one seed elohim never reprimanded them for that now let us go To this last portion, we want to deal with the marital status of Yeshua and his disciples. So we're dealing with the marriage status of Yeshua. In this scenario, we want to point out how Yeshua used a plural relationship to bring about the oneness we are speaking of with his disciples. And so we want to go to the book of... uh, uh, to be surah or the gospel of John. We want to go to the gospel of John. And when we look at the G- gospel of John, we want to go to the 17th chapter, the gospel of John, the 17th chapter. And in the 17th chapter, we want to look at a few things that uh, Yeshua had to say about his disciples, about this oneness. Okay. Okay. And here in the 17th chapter of John, okay, now here in the gospel of John, we find Yeshua's prayer. Now, oftentimes when we read the prayer that he gave his disciples, we call that the Lord's prayer. But in actuality, that wasn't the Lord's prayer when he told them about the Our Father's prayer, which out in heaven, that was not. Yeshua's prayer, and we call it the Lord's Prayer. But that's that was not the Lord's Prayer, that was the disciples' prayer. Now, here's the Lord's Prayer in the 17th chapter of John. Okay. And here it reads, it said, These are the words of Yeshua, and lifted up his vo- his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hours come, glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. Okay, now. What we want to do is look in this prayer and see the oneness of what we're talking about. It is this prayer, it is in this prayer that we, that he makes known to us at least two types of oneness, two types of oneness. The first oneness is between he and his father. Okay? Between he and his father. Now, we read here in John seventeen twenty. One and 22, it says. Now here, Yeshua is talking about the oneness. He said that they all may be one. yakar. In other words, that they all may be one. Talking about his disciples. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be yakar, or may be one in us as that the world may believe that you have sent me. In other words, he is saying, uh, the first relationship he's talking about is the father and the son. He's he's saying. He said just like father I and you are one. Make my disciples like the two of us. We are one. Make them one. Okay. So we see the father and the relation, father and the son relationship was one. It was one in purpose, one in aim and one in accomplishing the work of salvation. And he said, I want my disciples to be one. Okay, now, when we consider that, when we consider that they were one, let's look at the disciples. In verse 22, let's read that again. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be yakad. In other words, he said, the ones that you have given me, I didn't give you one or two. I gave you 12. He said, I want them to be one, even as we are one. In other words, he's saying that no matter how many I've given you, I want them to be one. He didn't limit it to just two. He said, I want all of them to be one. Okay. And then he goes on to say in verse 23, I in them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So in other words, he said down here, I want you to make them one just like we are one. So we see the disciples' oneness. Their, their, their oneness was the fact that he was his disciples and since he had 12, he's going to make all 12 one. Just like when Jacob had all of the wives and he had 12 sons all of what he had was in unity and as they were in unity with one seed even so Yeshua was saying with the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us the seed of promise that we can be one so here we can see how that Yeshua is pointing out that there can be a oneness among the twelve disciples as the oneness, Yeshua had with his father. And this unity of theirs was to be brought about by the comforter of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to stop there and maybe some questions or some observation as we are dealing uh, with that oneness in the marital relationship that Elohim had given to his people.
0: Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, So, you stated uh, that well let me ask you this is it unequally yoked when a man or a woman has more than one wife or husband well
1: if a woman has more than one one man that's an adulterous affair okay mm-hmm. but what we were teaching here is that Elohim never frowned upon a man having more than one, 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 one wife Mm -hmm. Just like, just like you look at Samuel, uh, Samuel's, um, mother, she was in a relationship with another woman in the same marriage. Elkanah had Hannah and, uh, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: He had two wives and and the Bible never speaks unfavorably about that. He only speaks unfavorably about an adulterous affair. So there were many individuals in the Bible that had more than one wife that, Elohim never frowned upon it. He only frowned upon it is when they broke the marital laws like David.
0: Mm -hmm. So, now I understand with the seeds, the commingling, that seeds Mm -hmm. shouldn't commingle. So, it's more detrimental for a woman to have more than one man than it is for a man to have more than one wife.
1: Right, because as you remember, the man is the dominant Mm-hmm. Just like day dominant overnight, a man has a seed. And what is the seed? The seed is the word of Elohim. And so if he has a seed, then he's dominant. And mm-hmm. so Elohim has made it so, as long as all of the wives he has has one seed, then that is the the human soul in which the same seed has been sown. But if a woman has more than one man, then they have more than one seed and that's an adulterous affair.
0: Mm-hmm. So can So can a man be a one flesh with more than one woman?
1: Well, that's what we we're we, we, we we saying is because mm-hmm. when we get with the fractionalization of, of, of anything, it, say for instance, if, 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 if Elohim had chosen to give him twelve wives mm-hmm. at the beginning, all 12 of them would have been one. How would they be one? Because they've all been extracted from him. Mm -hmm. So anything that was extracted from him, be it one, two, three, or four, when they all come together, they would would be one.
0: So it's not adulterous if a man has more than one wife.
1: No. Not according to the Bible standard.
0: So now... But if a man has a wife and he looks upon another woman, uh that would be lustful
1: uh well so. Yeshua he pointed that out and even even so job he said the same thing. job says uh, that he made an eye covenant with Elohim mm-hmm. that he would not look upon another man's maid or another woman mm-hmm. okay and Yeshua came along and said, whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery in his heart. So what he is saying, there's what you call psychological adultery. Mm-hmm. May not even touch her. But if you look upon it in your mind to do that, he said that's that's an adulteress. So if a man uh, is looking upon another woman, especially if he's married, you're saying that is adultery.
0: Okay, so but what if this man wants to uh, who's already married wants to take on another woman for his wife in you know? all what uh, okay mm-hmm. Go ahead. no so is 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 that kind of adulterous in you know, all or is it a different element to that
1: okay let let's look at the dynamics of it okay now when david uh when he he married saul's daughter daughter mitchell okay mm-hmm. all right well, he married her that was legitimate okay and then later on he married uh, uh he married uh Abigail which was neighbor's wife but the bible says if a man dies that he, uh, then the woman is free to marry another if he dies mm-hmm. because if he dies then his seed can no longer be there his seed is gone so there's only one seed left mm-hmm. so when we look at so when we look at the the point of a man getting more than one wife i'm I'm going to give some counsel here now uh, it's not wrong if the other one that he is marrying is not married to another man and she uh, she is free, okay? Yeah. So, all right, that's not wrong. But here's where my counsel coming in. Uh, you have to be very careful that if you have a plural relationship, you know, I know they have this program on television about sister wives. You have to be yeah. a- aware of the fact that if you get more than one one woman, number one is... If you're married to one woman, then you, you better be pretty sure that if you get married to the second woman, that the first woman is in agreement with that because you're not, you're going, not going to have anything but contention and, and, and foul play, just like Jacob. Mm-hmm. Jacob was tricked into marrying Leah, but he wanted Rachel. Yeah. But if you can see all of the strife and the tension that went on in that marriage, it's a wonder that Jacob lived the age that he was. <laughs> because of all that contention that was going on. So while it is permissible, and Elohim saying, hey, it's okay, but at the same time, he's saying, look at what happened. So while it may be permissible, it may not be expedient. It may mm-hmm. not be something that you want. Some people can do it, some people can't. But it's legitimate, okay, because Elohim never forbid it. But you have to look at what may be the result of it.
0: Wow. And, you know, it just goes into thinking about why Yahuwah was so angry with or Israel because, you know, now I see with him being the dominant, him being the seed, we are more, I would say, I guess, the feminine because we're his woman. He was married to Israel. But Mm -hmm. then when we went whoring after other gods, it's just like you said, we're okay. Now we're, it's the mingling of the seeds now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, I found that very interesting that his principles and laws not just apply to, as you brought out, with vegetation and the mingling of seeds, but even humans and then everything that goes throughout the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. His
1: law pervades the universe. And see, that's what Satan is trying to do is change his order. hmm See, when you see homosexuality, it's not just woman with woman and man with man. It is Satan trying to change his order. That's what he's trying to do. Yeah. See, if he could change his order, then he, he, he's got him. And so what we're saying, we have to upload. We as men must be able to take the word that he has put in us and continue his order of things because that's the way he wanted. Why is that necessary? Because when we get to heaven, he's going to continue his order. You're not going to do it do that up in heaven, you're going to maintain his order. So he says, uh, even in the prayer that he gave the disciples, he said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm -hmm. His order is like that in heaven, and it's going to be back that on earth. So that's the thing that we are concerned with, is that all of these uh, different uh, same-sex marriages is trying to change his order. You cannot change his order.
0: Yeah, and you know, I was just thinking about order the other day in relation to uh, Hebrew Negroes and and to our plight here. And it reminds me of how uh, Martin Luther King used to go for equality. You know, he preached trying to get equality. But when you really think of the order of things, there Mm -hmm. can never be equality, really, because there's an order. Because Yah is number one than his son, mm-hmm. than everything right. else. Mm-hmm. And when you look, it's kind of delusional to think that, we, you know, when you have a people, when you have an order, there's going to be a hierarchy. And when there's a hierarchy, yeah, it's going to be something that's a, maybe a little bit more important than the other. And I just think that false narrative that we had that we can be equal is, is ridiculous to me. There's no way on this earth any group of people can really truly be equal here. You know, in mm-hmm. my opinion, you know, mm-hmm. because it's always going to be someone on top. When you look at Israel, if Israel would have done and did what y'all said, not commingling of seeds, not started worshiping others, uh, other gods, which we're going to get into a little bit in the let's talk about that segment. I don't think that, you know, we would have been a people that would have been on top. Because that's what it said in Deuteronomy 28, you're going to be the head or the tail. And generally the head Uh is the top. But when Uh we mingled our seeds with other gods, we ended up being the tail. So, you know, when, when King was preaching this equality, to me, it's crazy because it would have never been equality because they chose to, our people chose to be the tail rather than the head and all. But I think where we get kind of misconstrued is when we are the head, I think it becomes a thing where, okay, you're more powerful than the next man. No, yeah. that wasn't to be. If Israel would have did what was right, I think we would have been the head, but we would have been the example of love of Yah to the whole world. But, mm-hmm. I, but with us going the other way, it wasn't so.
1: Yeah, you, you you bring out an excellent point uh, of the civil rights movement uh, that uh, uh, took place here in the United States is the fact that there never would have really been equality uh, for two reasons. Number one is that when Elohim told his people to keep his laws, his statutes, and his judgments and commandments,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they were the things to bring about equality among the Israelites. Mm-hmm. But the world doesn't practice the same laws that Jehovah teaches. So therefore their laws do not lead to unity. They they cannot. And so when you take human laws versus divine laws, then uh, divine law is always going to be above human law. Mm -hmm. Now, we do recognize that Malcolm X was saying that, you know, it's not so much civil rights and all of this, but human rights. Yes. But now when you look at some of the uh, leaders and some of the forerunners of the black movement like Malcolm X, Dr. King, Stokely Carmichael, H. Red Brown, and all of these, they did not start, study the Torah to be able to base their movement upon laws of equality. They based upon human laws, mm-hmm. and therefore they could not be able to take out of human law what you can take out of divine law Because when you preach divine law, then you're talking about not only love and behavior, but love in your hearts. But when you talk about human law, you're trying to legislate a person to do something that is not in their heart. And even Dr. King, if you study his movement, at the end of his movement, he was saying, he knows that uh, to legislate laws to give equality, he said, I know that's not going to work. He said, Mm -hmm. because if a man in his heart does not believe what he's doing, it's not going to work. He recognized that. But he said, we still need to get some equality among our people. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying that the only way we're going to get the equality is to go back to his laws, his yeah. statutes, and his covenant that he has given, because that is the only thing that lead to equality, and it can reverse the situation that we're in from being the tail to the head again. Yeah,
0: true. True. And with that, we will go on to our next segment. Up next is Let's Talk About That. <laughs> So today, India, let's talk about that I want to talk about who do you love Satan or Yahuwah And at the end of this, I want to pose I guess you can say a few questions or a few scenarios To kind of make you think, are you serving Yahuwah Or should I say, are you loving Yahuwah or are you more in love with Satan? So, it's kind of almost kind of piggyback on what the pastor was preaching a little bit, you know, because you're talking about us mingling with other gods, pretty much. Because, you know, when you're serving Satan, and you're serving Yahuwah, just like we talked about, it's the mingling of seeds. So, if you want to, if you can turn with me, I want to go through a couple of verses uh, that I feel kind of go with some of the things I want to talk about. And let's talk about that segment today. So if you can turn with me in Deuteronomy 11.1. 1. Again, that's Deuteronomy 11.1. 1. And it reads, Therefore, you shall love Yahuwah Elohika and guard his watch and his statutes and his judgments and his commandments always. Now, I want you also to go down in the same chapter. We're going to go down into Deuteronomy eleven sixteen, where it reads, Guard yourselves that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside and serve other Elohim and worship them. Okay? Now, we uh, want to go
1: over. Let me, let, let me ask you. Uh, you said Deuteronomy 11, 15?
0: 16.
1: Oh, see, oh okay. I got gotcha, you. Okay. 15.
0: Okay, now if you can return with me to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua, chapter 24. And we're going to read verse 14 and 15. Again, that's Joshua, chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. Now, therefore, fear Yahuwah and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away Elohim of your fathers, served on the other side of the flood and in Mitzrayim, and serve ye Yahuwah. And if it seems evil unto you to serve Yahuwah, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the Elohi, which is your fathers served, that were on the other side of the flood, or the Elohim of the Imarim in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve Yahuwah. OK, for the last two verses, we need to go to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation. And we're going to go to chapter three and we're going to read verse 15 and 16. That's Revelation three. verse 15 and 16. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot, and I would you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. So uh, as you know, in today's day and age, a lot of Hebrew Negroes i like to call ourselves uh, descendants of slaves. A lot of us are starting to wake up to the truth. And some of us, not, I would say not to the full truth, but a lot of us are waking up to the possibility of a second exodus. Of Yahuwah taking his chosen people, gathering up from the four corners and giving them back to the land of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob of their forefathers that he promised them. And so I've been hearing several people, a lot of different people of Negro descent saying and looking for this day. But the one problem I have with it is that. How are you living? Are you serving, are you in love with Yahuwah? Are you in love with Satan? Because I think there's some misconception here that everybody that's a descendant of the Negro is going to go over there. But how can you really say you love Yahuwah and want to go into the new land if you're not keeping his statutes, judgments, commandments that he set forth for us to keep? Because it does say in scripture that He's going to search our hearts, you know, and I would think this time I would think he would search our hearts before he put us into the new land to make sure and thoroughly vet us before we would. You know, our people will even go over there because the whole thing is to uplift him and to show the world the true Yahuwah and the true king of this universe in all. So I think sometimes we get it misconstrued. Mis- You know, I think a lot of times, you know, everybody is excited about the Juneteenth thing. It's a national holiday. But I think we need to start thinking, are we serving white gods? Which boils down, are we serving Satan? And let me say this. I am not. Let me state this clearly. I'm not saying white people are Satan. Anybody can be under the influence of Satan. I don't care. No color or creed. You know, it's just if you're doing anything that's contrary to what Yahuwah says, you're basically following Satan. And I think a lot of times here in America, I think our people, we've been undated with the white way of life. That so much times we are following white gods, whether it's the following these pagan holidays. And, and be honest, Juneteenth is really another pagan holiday. It has it's no merit within scripture. So my question is, you know, are we as a people doing the right things to be able to go over in the second exodus yeah well
1: it's a good question you raise uh what are we dealing with is the fact that as we get more light and more understanding uh within the scriptures and especially concerning his chosen people there's an enlightenment that is going around among our people and you can look at the internet and you can see more uh, movements coming up and there are just a number of groups now that uh, I would say 10 years ago that were were opposed to the festival days, but now many individuals are now embracing uh, Elohim's true festival days. Now my point being is this, is that uh, there are many individuals who are sincere, which I wouldn't doubt their sincerity, yeah. but I would doubt they practice. Uh-huh. In other words, they say they love, love Yahuwah, and, and who am I to say that they don't love him? You know, uh-huh. I mean, that's an that's, uh, uh, individual or what I might say a decision that is only in the heart of an individual. That's uh-huh. internal. But when I look at the external things of what Elohim told us to do, and you are still following what man told you to do, but yet you're saying you love him, but you're not following his words, you're still following the man's word, and hoping that when we all come into awareness that we can still keep Christmas and Easter and Juneteenth and all of this, that we are saying, I love him, and these are the ways that I'm gonna serve him by using man days to serve him, mm-hmm. then, we are not doing the correct practice. So our sincerity has to also be connected with the correct practice that he wants us to practice. But after all, when he brought them out of Egypt, what did he do? He gave them the feast days. He gave them the Sabbath. Matter of fact, coming out of Egypt Uh was one of the first things that they wanted to do is to be able to keep the Sabbath, the, the weekly Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And then he said, in addition to that, I want you to keep Passover and the other festival days. And when you keep these other festival days, they would let you know that I'm the one that brought you out of out of Egypt. And as time went on, his people began to keep these things. But at the same time, they started going contrary to what he was saying again. And by the time you reach the time of Isaiah and Jeremiah, the prophet and Daniel, And then Elohim had to tell him, you've been breaking my laws. Uh And so you're going to have to go into captivity captivity for 70 years. And so they went into captivity for 70 years. And then when he came out, we have Nehemiah and Ezra that was leading the people back to Jerusalem to begin to start over again. And the same thing they were starting over again was to keep his festival days and to worship Elohim as he had desired. Uh And when they did that, they were okay with him, but again, they began to break the laws again and to go contrary to it, and then when Yeshua came on the scene of action, they were doing the same thing. They were putting other things before his word, and Elohim showed them how to keep what he wanted them to keep, and as time went on, they began to go against that again, and then when it come up to our time, we find that after we had been scattered because Yeshua had prophesied, that uh, they were gonna have a flight and that they were gonna be overcome. Uh He prophesied that. And he told them that one stone upon this temple would not remain upon another because they had gone against his will and he allowed the city to be taken. And the Bible says, according to Deuteronomy, they'll be scattered over all of the earth. And one of the uh, uh, things that happened in the diaspora was that many of the Jews, they fled into Africa, uh-huh. and when they fled into Africa, there they were. And as they were there, uh, some of them adhered to what Elohim said, and some didn't. So the Africans took the the black Hebrews and they sold them uh, in the transatlantic uh, 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 Arab slave trade, and then they were brought over here to the United States. And then they were stripped of all of their culture and everything, and they began to, to learn the ways of the Caucasian. And as they learned those ways, they began to join those type of religions which were against the Torah. Mm-hmm. And as a result, today, we still have those type of religions among us, and we are trying to say we are serving Elohim out of a sincere heart, but our practices does not coincide with what he wants. So in order for the movement to really reach his Apex or his Zenith. We must come back to his Torah and with a sincere heart and doing what he says Then Elohim will fight for us. We don't have to fight for ourselves We don't have to worry about police brutality because Elohim said I'm gonna if you uplift me I'm gonna uplift you if you fight for me, I'm gonna fight for you. Yeah Moses and all of the patriarchs in the days of old didn't have to fight Elohim fought for them, and if we are going to reach what he wants us to reach, then we must come back to his word, his way, and his word, and what he said, so that we can be able to, when the light comes, that we could unite together and do his will, that we'll be in harmony with his will, because we won't be following the traditions of man, we'll be following the ways of uh, 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 of what the Torah teaches us in his covenant.
0: True, true. So, can a person really truly love Yahuwah if they do not want to hear? Like they say, you know, I've heard many people say, "I I feel like I have enough truth." Can you truly love Yahuwah if you make that a statement like that? Well, uh, <laughs> it's it's almost like like a person
1: saying when they eat a plate of food, you know, uh, that I, I got enough and I don't need any other meals. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I mean, when you, when you study scripture and you study about the life of Yeshua, it's, it's much more to learn. It ain't like you eat one meal that he gave and that's sufficient and you don't have to go any further. No, you digest that meal and then you, then you get another one. I was just, uh, let me see. It seemed like I was talking just the other day with someone. Oh yeah. I I was trying to point out to them that many of us we're still on the milk of the word. We're not Mm -hmm. on the meat.
0: Mm -hmm. And so when
1: we, when we consider the meat, the the milk, the milk is mostly for babies. Babies drink drink milk. And, (laughs) and, and and it's almost like you are saying, I don't need to study anymore. I want to remain a baby for the rest of my life. Wow. No, Paul says you should graduate from the milk Mm -hmm. to the meat and Mm -hmm. the meat. He said, is, is, is that, that which was going to build you up and give you the strength.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So Elohim never intended for us to be babes all, all of our lives. Uh-huh. He intended for us to go from the babyhood, from the rudiments, and the basic things, and to get into meat, which is the heavier things and the more solid things that help us to grow up into the full womanhood and manhood of Yeshua the Messiah. And we can't do that by saying, well, you know, I don't need anymore. That's it. Mm-hmm. And just like the text that you read in Revelation, it says they are neither cold nor hot. They are saying, I don't need anything. I don't need anything more. I got everything. Yeah. And that makes us in a complacent situation feeling that we are all right when we're not. Mm-hmm. No, we must continue to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the word until he can manifest Himself more and more to us until his life can shine out within our life. Mm-hmm. So, no, it's not enough just to say I got enough. So I, one thing, the one thing that we can do, uh-huh. when it comes to physical food, we can say it's enough. But when it comes to spiritual food, we can suffer to be, have what we call spiritual obesity. Uh-huh. We can, we can just, we can digest it more and more and more and more until we become so obese with the word that we can feel its presence, its very presence within our being. And others, when they look upon us, they can be able to see the same presence that we are uh, portraying through the life of him being in us because we have taken the time not to say it's enough, but to just keep on eating. Wow.
0: So I have a, uh, I want to kind of ask a question too. So basically, if I want to know if I'm serving Satan or Yahuwah, and I ask myself these questions, okay, can can I celebrate Christmas, Easter, valentine's day fourth of july veterans day memorial day boxing day thanksgiving halloween and even juneteenth can i serve that and love you who okay let's
1: let's take an introspective look at what you are asking so we can put it in a proper perspective Uh okay now uh, the bible i'm gonna answer that in in maybe a, a number of ways uh-huh. Now, when the Bible teaches that at your time of ignorance, he said he winked at it.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Okay. Now, Elohim knows that we are not all on the same page at the same time. True. Different One of us would arrive at truth different times than others. But it doesn't mean that because I'm coming in late and you got it before me that I'm not sincere. He uh-huh. knows that you're sincere. He, he knows that. But what I'm saying is we cannot take our sincerity and just elect. What he says and to accept what man says. Uh Now, it may be a time when I I was keeping Christmas and Easter and all this. That was a time. But I I really didn't have a knowledge that that stuff was wrong because you pivoted right on the Bible. Matter of fact, there's one passage in the King James that even says Easter, which was a mistranslation. Uh But I mean, the average person reading that probably wouldn't know it. So, but I was sincere and I think that you got a lot of sincere pre-robs there. Uh But I think with a lot of the sincere people, they will hear his truth, and if they're really sincere, when they hear it, they would follow it. Uh-huh. Even Yeshua said, my sheep hear my voice,
0: uh-huh.
1: and they follow me. So if they hear his voice, follow him. Where is his voice? His voice is found in the scriptures. Because if you cannot find all of the doctrines of your church or what your pastor teach or what somebody is telling you, if you can't find the scriptures, that's not him speaking to you. He said, my voice is found in the scriptures. So if they are found in the scriptures, what does that mean? Yeah. That means that his voice is speaking to you. So if you're really sincere, you will connect with his truth and recognize that Christmas, Easter, Juneteenth, and all of this stuff, it's not according to scriptures. Now, let me take it another step, another observation. Now, it may be that some some of these holidays may be less uh evil than others. Mm -hmm. It may be less, okay? And is it wrong? I can't say it's wrong or right. But what I am saying is, is that whatever the day is that man has made, can you see Elohim in it? Now, in Juneteenth, I don't really see Elohim. I see uh, Abraham Lincoln more so than Elohim. So is it really attributed to Elohim? Mm -hmm. Now, if you can take Juneteenth and see Elohim in it, It's sort of like when Elohim's people were in the book of Esther, when they were in the Persian Empire. And when Elohim vindicated them and brought them out, then they had a holiday. And this holiday that they had was uh, when Esther and uh, Mordecai uh, uh, had it, then uh, they they had what they call Purim. Uh It was man-made. Elohim never gave it no They man-made it. Uh But they were able to see Elohim's hand in it, Uh and so they glorified Him. So there are some holidays that are less, they are uh, are innocent more so than other holidays, but at the same time, they are still man-made, so we have to weigh those things in uh, opposition to what Elohim is really saying. Now, it, it may be that these days are leading some people to the true Elohim, but other people, they are just celebrating what man has given us. Mm-hmm. But if we can say that there are holidays that have nothing to do with the Bible at all and nothing to do with Elohim. Because even when you deal with Christmas, even how people talk about they, they, uh, they worship up Yehoah and, and Yeshua, but at the same time, they're looking for gifts. Yeah. Now, isn't it amazing you said that this is his birthday mm-hmm. and your kids are giving the gifts, the grown ups are giving the gift, and then the church that needs money, they're not getting anything. Seems like if you say it's his birthday, everything should be going for his birthday, but I don't see that. So, how can it be that we can follow false false things and yet reach his standard of what he wants us to reach? It cannot be. You cannot take darkness and make it light. Yeah. You can't merge the two. It, it, either you're going to serve Serve in light, or you gonna serve in darkness.
0: But so, w- what if a person is, you know, they feel that they can, cause to that they can still keep these pagan holidays, but still feel like they're worshiping Yah. Because to be honest, I don't think you can do both, because it's either one or the other. Just like the scripture said, you either hot nor cold. Because you have mm-hmm. some people who try to walk that line. Whereas case in point, Saturday worshipers, a lot of Saturday worshipers. Well, I keep the Sabbath, but also I celebrate Christmas, Easter, Valentine's, all these other, you know, pagan holidays. Mm -hmm. But to me, you can't mix the holy with the unholy in all because it's just like, you know, you were speaking of earlier. It's just like the same thing, the mingling of seeds in all. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, it's either Satan way or Yah's way when it comes to uh, you know, keeping the different pagan and whatnot holidays and whatnot. I just don't think you can do both and walk that fine line because it already says, I will spew you out of my mouth because you you, you just want to play the fence. You want to mm-hmm. do what you want to do. And that's try to do what I want you to do. And I don't think y'all works like that. Huh. Well, the
1: Bible, if you read in Matthews, the sixth chapter, uh, in verse 24, in conjunction with Revelation text, uh, it said no man can serve Elohim. Mm-hmm. He said no man can serve uh, two, Elo- two, two lords
0: mm-hmm.
1: or uh, two. Mm-hmm. He said for either he's going to love one and hate the other
0: mm-hmm.
1: or else he will hold to one and despise the other. He said you can't serve Elohim and Mammon." He said you can't do it. Mm-hmm. There's no, no way that you're going to serve twice. He said, I've laid down my way of worship, and then the world got its way, and you, you're not going to merge the two. He said, you, you can't serve the two. And that's why he told a woman at the well. He says that uh, you got to serve God, or Elohim, in spirit and in truth. Mm-hmm. And as he was articulating that to her, he let her know that he was the truth. Uh-huh. And she was saying, well, my fathers, they worship in the mountains and in this this place and that place. He said, but it would come a time in the future that when you worship the true Elohim, it, it on, it, it's not just limited here to Jerusalem and in the Jerusalem temple. Uh-huh. He said, they will worship me in spirit and in truth. In other words, wherever you are, if you got the truth from his word and you worship him, he said, that's true worship. Uh-huh. That's true worship. And you can't be mixing it with other false worships.
0: Mm. Wow Before we close this out It's just one verse I want to go over And I feel this is a verse uh, Will show you rather you Going around Going down the right path In loving Yahuwah And if we can turn to 1 Kings Chapter 2 And we're going to read verse 3 before we wrap this up. First Kings chapter two, verse three. Verse three. And it reads, guard the watch of Yahuwah Eloheka to walk in his ways, to guard his statues and his commandments and his judgment and his testimonies as it is written in the Torah of Moshe that you may prosper in all that you do and whatsoever you turn yourself. And it's just like you were stating earlier that if we put our all in Yahuwah, we don't have to worry about being gunned down in the streets. We don't have to worry about not being on an equal stage as everybody else because Yahuwah has our backs. He has us. He's going to protect us in no matter whatever we do. Lord
1: Father, again, we thank you for another Shabbat. And as we continue, O the Father, to worship and to give you praise, that we may be able to keep the things that you have written, the things that you have given to Moses, and the things that Yeshua the Messiah has lived out to show us the way of truth, that we may be, O Father, in harmony with the covenant that you have given us, and as we are in harmony with our covenants, we can expect the prosperity and the protection that we need as we walk in a world that has turned us back on thee. Realize, Lord, that... Oftentimes, even though we keep your Torah, that sometimes things may happen to us, but you don't allow anything to happen to us other than to get you to glory. So we ask that as we continue to look to you, that you may continue to do for us that which is needed. Continue to bless us, O Heavenly Father, in our physical being. Give us the health that we need. Bless our minds that it may be perceptual to be able to understand your will and bless our spirits, that they may be in harmony with your spirit to get the inspiration that we need. In order to accomplish the task that you have given to each one of us now father as we close this broadcast we ask that you bless every ear that listens so heavenly father that it might be anointed with the olive oil of, of the holy spirit that they may hear what the spirit has to say and what the spirit has to say is the same thing that the holy spirit has anointed the prophets of the days of old to speak and so when we listen to what the prophets have to say We'll listen to what what the Holy Spirit has given to them. And what the Holy Spirit has given to them is the things that has come from the mind of Elohim himself. And so when we follow that word, we are following you because you gave the word. So help us to continue day by day to walk in the footsteps, Lord, of Yeshua, the Messiah. And we know that those footsteps leads from earth to glory. So bless each one of us. And as we go into a new week we ask that you would bless us with new insights and understanding. And most of all, oh, help Heavenly Father, draw us closer to you. And when you do come, may we be able to meet you in peace. Is our prayer in Yeshua's name. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen.
0: I am Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington. And we are the Science of the Covenant. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. May Yahuwah bless you and keep you. Until next week. Shalom.